días. Hello, this is Unwatchable, the podcast where we take a look at some of cinema's biggest flops, whether they were financial disasters or critical disasters, but we still hold them dear for one reason or another, and we discuss why these films failed and why we feel like they shouldn't be overlooked. As always, we're brought to you by Anchor FM and the Nobleman Podcast Network. I'm Brent Evans, and I am joined by, as always, Corey Ray Mackey and Ben Norris. Hello. And Hi. Hi. Hey guys. Look, it's been a while. We're a little rusty. <laughs> yeah, we forgot how to podcast. Sorry guys. How do we podcast? Um, uh, today we're taking a deep dive into David Finch's personal favourite from his catalogue, Alien 3. You'll soon learn that. That's sarcasm. Probably not the worst reception ever. It's 43% on Rotten Tomatoes and it did actually triple its budget at the box office. Made $175 million against the $50 million budget. That does make it the worst performing Alien film both critically and financially. But in doing my, you know, bit half ass research, it was hard to find reliable box office numbers for some of these some of these alien films um, due to Fox Studios' incredibly, uh, we'll call it creative accounting. So I found out, semi-related, that despite the original alien film making $203 million against the production budget of $11 million, they claim it lost the studio $2 million, which a few people think was probably to limit their mandatory payments to Brandywine Productions, who they co-produced all these films with. That is some creative accounting. Ah, uh, definitely. <laughs> I don't know how you could lose that much money when <laughs> it's made that much, but... Yep. You know, with the director and one of the screenwriters of this film both disowning it as not theirs, we'll likely come to a pretty good consensus of why this movie doesn't work, as well as its two predecessors. Given the quality of the filmmaker at the helm, there's still plenty of things to appreciate despite the complete mess that is alien 3 um and the film actually did later see an assembly cut re-release without the involvement of david fincher which i've seen described as an avant-garde piece of depressive realism so uh, i guess everyone can just take that however they want <laughs> of the three of us i'm probably the uh the second biggest alien franchise fan in the uh in our virtual room today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so yeah. i'll i'll happily kick it over to someone else or i'd be happy to start we could go for it yeah i mean as far as like my relationship with the alien franchise i mean i'm guessing that you were referring to me as being probably the <laughs> number one fan in this film. well so given ben's only fan. seen two of them it's probably he's probably <laughs> it's not probably the safe to one. say that he's not number one <laughs> um we'll get into but, that 
Yeah, I mean, as as far as my relationship to the franchise goes, I mean, Alien is probably my favorite movie of all time. Like, I find it incredibly difficult to come up with lists as far as when people are like, hey man, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> like, or what are your favorite films of all time? Like, I just kind of go on a bit of a blank. And I'm like, oh God, I don't know. There's so many different movies to, to think of. But the one that always comes to mind immediately without failure is Alien. Like, I just find that yep. movie to be incredibly beautiful from start to finish. Like, it's barely aged at all. Um, I feel that yeah. if you watch it now, it just, you can see where everything kind of comes from after that in a way. And just the way that it's filmed still feels so contemporary. And the performances are so grounded and just ugh, everything about it is just magic. And Aliens is a completely different beast. It takes everything that the first film did and then just completely repackages it into an action film and creates an entirely different experience where in some ways I love it because it's so different. In other ways, I I feel that it's not as interesting to me. That's yeah something mm-hmm. which we sh- I shouldn't go into depth too much, I guess, because this is an Alien 3 podcast, not an Alien and Aliens podcast. Um, but then with Alien 3, it's like, okay, David Fincher, he's probably like one of my favorite directors and probably the director that really inspired me to go how do you do that and actually learn how to make films myself and so alien 3 was not my first david fincher film thankfully yeah (laughs) but when i had watched this this film for the first time it was when i was kind of going through and watching all the alien films somewhat like back to back for the first time rather than like kind of separate individual screenings out of order or whatever it was i think over four nights i went through and watched um, all four alien films and with Alien 3, it was actually the assembly cut I watched first, not the theatrical cut. And I remember thinking like, okay, this isn't as good as the first two, just as far as like, just that that level of filmmaking and storytelling. That's not as bad as what I was expecting it to be, um, like at all. Um, and I actually kind of loved it too, um, despite knowing that it's not that iconic. Um, and then since then, really, it, I, w- I wouldn't say it's so much changed, but certainly... My opinion of the film has kind of, um, you know, I, I do have a deep appreciation of it while also totally understanding why someone as meticulous and like such a control freak like Fincher would totally disown this movie. I've seen the film twice now, very obviously very recently, and I actually did go through it and I just went Alien, Aliens and Alien 3. Mm-hmm. It, do, it does sort of work when you can tie them all together and you've got yep. you've got the last film fresh in your mind so you can see how they all sort of... Yep. Go to get, like go together, blend into the next one, or you know, in the case of Alien Three, shit all over the last one, <laughs> and then seeing how I guess how like such a different direction this Alien Three took it again. So Aliens turned Alien from I guess just a straight up horror flick into a yep. action horror, and then Alien Three sort of to me it abandons the horror thing altogether. Doesn't feel like much of an action movie either, and it sort of it's a mess. It doesn't quite know what it's trying to be and then when you read about how the production went pretty much just couldn't get a screenplay anyone was happy with (laughs) Uh, it's easy to see why it was why it ended up being so messy yeah Um, and why the involvement from the producers led to why david fincher was so unhappy and like you said a perfectionist not able to actually do his thing and be a perfectionist yeah would annoy you very much especially given it's not his first you know filmmaking experience but his debut feature you'd think it would turn you off but yeah and let's not he forget as well. He got struck gold next, the next movie he made. Absolutely. Like, it, it is interesting watching Alien 3 and 7 quite close together because it's like, yeah. oh, wow. That's, yeah. like, <laughs> 7's where he really did had like that control over it. But one thing that's really yeah. interesting 
and really important to consider just as far as Finch's career in Alien 3 as, as his starting point. This guy was like 27 years old when he made this movie. It still continues to blow my mind that a 27-year-old dude, obviously very talented, had created some of the most iconic music videos of the 80s up, up until that point, um, is then given, yeah. like, I don't... I can't remember what the production budget for this was again. Um, like $40 million, was it, Brent? Or 50, 50 mil. 50 mil. So being 50, a $50 million production budget given to a 27-year-old music video commercial director. Insane. Um, not in like a bad way, but just like imagine what that must feel like. But Fincher still had developed by that point um, a very strong visual style understood himself i think as like a filmmaker in terms of how he wanted to work um and to then come into this production and be second guessed like every single day um and have so many problems arise every single day where his initial cinematographer jordan cronenworth who shot blade runner unfortunately had to leave the production after only a three um uh, after a few days of shooting um just due to his um I think he parkinson's had, yeah parkinson's and so that would have been obviously a loss and just in terms of the production itself and just keeping that consistent tone and visual style, I guess, across it. And just knowing as well that Fincher not only loves Alien, but also loves Blade Runner and Jordan Cronenworth's work as well. And has obviously worked with his son, Jeff Cronenworth, quite a few times since then. But it's such an yeah. interesting story that this film, just from the production side alone. It's shocking again when you realise that they actually started filming it and they hadn't even finished writing it. So they're literally, mm -hmm. you know, making it up, making it up as they went. And they'd already spent, I think it was somewhere between seven and ten million dollars before they even started filming on sets that were for a different version <laughs> of the script. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, from start to finish. Yeah, it's pretty much a disaster of a film to make. So it would be hard to come up with something that would match the quality of the first two, regardless yeah, I mean, of how, yeah. you know, how anyone feels about the first two. But how tight Alien is from start to finish. Totally, yeah. And you could say Aliens is strong in its vision and is committed to what it's doing from start to finish, whereas Alien 3 just sort of... You know, the fact that it wasn't finished being written, it's <laughs> impossible. it would be impossible to have a strong vision of the movie coming in in terms of a storytelling point of view. If you've only seen Alien, it's hard to sort of relate it straight back to Alien because there's no, so can't. little of it that is similar. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. Nice little segue. Thanks, man. Uh, I <laughs> have only ever watched Alien. I'll take it. Um, uh, never watched Aliens and then watched Alien 3 <laughs> for the purposes of this podcast. Now, the reason for that is because I'm not a, I don't do horror at all. Um, right. Yeah, I. It's just not for me. I can understand why people get into it. They like, you know, you, you get the adrenaline rush of being frightened and scared, and like in a controlled setting, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I don't like. I don't like that. I like to stay away <laughs> from that as often as I can. Thank you very much. Um, but I did watch Alien because I, you know, you should. Um, plus you I'm should. a big sci. I am. A, I'm a big sci-fi guy, so that kind of ended up, you know, overriding the the, the horror negativity. Um. So I watched that, enjoy, you know, I enjoyed it to an extent, um, uh, as much as not liking horror you can, uh, <laughs> but I, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate Alien for what it was doing, which was, you know, it was one of the very first films that was kind of doing what it was doing. Like, um, it, uh, sorry, when I mean it, I mean Alien, um, uh, the thing, 
uh, Freddy, uh, you know, all those, you know, those sort of characters yeah. were were the very first sort of block of characters that came up that that, that brought about this sort of, I guess you call it a second wave of of creatures from the night kind of thing stalking yeah you. monster movies monster movies yeah yeah this yeah yeah like the modern they're pretty much the modern monster movies yeah yeah so i can appreciate yeah. the fact that you know it, it was it was the 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 pine like one of the pioneers for that um and i respect it for that but then if you juxtapose that with alien 3 it does look like it's completely lost the plot if, as, from what from what from what it was to what it is because it, it, it didn't have one it didn't have one to start and so. and yeah and like so what, when you te- when you're saying you know it, it didn't really have any structure in terms of writing even while they were producing it that makes it a, so much more sense as to why i felt like it's like I, you know i was like contrasting alien 3 to the original alien i'm like this is completely different the only the only sim- mm-hmm. the only thing that's similar is sigourney weaver is is ripley and the alien yeah yeah, like that seems yeah. to be I the mean, only thing. That, I think that, this that... movie, <laughs> yeah, like I think this movie probably has more in common with Alien than Aliens. If we're to do that comparison between the two, yeah, yeah. But even yes, then, definitely. they are obviously very different beasts. Not just literally, because the xenomorph is different in this movie than the one in the first <laughs> film. But <laughs> yeah, it, it just yeah. it feels tonally very different. Um, they are still like you know seem in a in a somewhat confined space. They are still mm-hmm, having yep. to to deal with the alien through improvisational means, like you know through you know fire and you know trying to you know crush the thing that like you know all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that that's still similar to the to the original film. But yeah, like you, I guess what you were what you were about to get at was yeah, the 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 tone, the theme, the yep. over the overall, uh, I guess, atmosphere of the film is yes. just yeah, completely off. Totally. I mean, and in in some ways, I almost kind of appreciate that each film can kind of be like its own thing, and that each film is like a different experience and tone, almost kind of like how the Mission Impossible franchise, um, up until I guess that the most recent two films had different directors on board um to make them all obviously connected in some way but had a different like vision or auteur behind it to give it a different spin Mm. i guess and so the fact that you have ridley scott kind of creating this incredibly iconic horror film this like haunted house in space kind of um (laughs) vibe i guess with 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 that, that first film but filmed with such beauty in every single frame um and then with james cameron coming in and doing just what he does really really well which you know that guy's kind of a master at plot mechanics i guess i love aliens but you know compared to the first film i guess just as far as like the the groundedness of um of that film versus that of aliens which takes place in a much more heightened action i guess space where the first film is about truckers in space and the dialogue feels incredibly natural and they're they're arguing about like you know, there's like pay disputes and how much you're going to get for the bonus and all this stuff. Like, it just feels very real. And then you go to Aliens and you have Bill Paxton being like, it's game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> like, and it's just really like... Yeah, it's just know, 10 out of 10. It's, yeah, yeah, 10 out of 10. Rest in peace. That's where it comes right. from. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it takes, like, it firmly kind of puts itself in this action movie tone which feels very, yeah. very different from the first movie. And then and you go to Alien... far lighter yeah, as well. Absolutely. Um, and almost makes the, the Xenomorph a little less scary, in my opinion, because in the first one, it's 
he's filmed or it's filmed so beautifully um and it's just this it's so scary because it's singular it's alien this one and it takes out nearly an entire crew um of people uh whereas in the second one it kind of felt like there were just big bugs now that while they were dangerous they're just kind of part of like a, a hive kind of set up it's that it's that notion of yeah. less is more the less you know about the the creature or whatever it is the the, the scary the is. scary thing in the dark yeah. you know the less you know about it the yeah. better yeah yeah so, and that's yeah. why i'm glad alien 3 moves away from the the horror side of things because you know in alien they don't know anything about this alien we don't know anything about it and mm-hmm. everything we find out about it they're finding out at the same time so yeah. Mm-hmm. All this, all this shit that's going on, we we have no clue what's happening, so we're terrified as well. And then, so by the time we get to Alien Three, we've seen a whole army of them. We've we've met the Queen. Mm-hmm. We you're fairly confident about how the aliens work, so we as an audience are no longer scared of them. Mm. And seeing what Ripley has done, there's no reason to believe why she would be so necessarily you know scared out of her skin again because she's i mean in aliens she literally dives into the queen's nest (laughs) takes Mm -hmm. them all on by herself so it's alien 3 works in that sense where fincher takes it away from her trying to keep it as a horror film and more into the dynamic of different people again so instead of truckers in space it's Mm -hmm. prisoners yeah and they're all violent criminals as well they're not just it's not like violent. it's not like shawshank redemption or whatever where it's like i, I met yeah. my best friend in prison it's like i mean i love that movie but <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah it's a different yeah. tone it's a different altogether. tone completely yeah. and it's it's a movie yeah, that, that's we, very much like like really exp- it's it's exploring a character really coming to terms with death i think you know while yeah. this while this character rick ripley has um over the course of these movies being confronted with that every step of the way um i think it's like a, like a movie that's really kind of exploring that and that's what makes it feel so dark <laughs> like you know when yeah, when a- it kills off her her news like, i guess surrogate daughter figure in the first yeah. five minutes of the movie and where you know in aliens what that did so well i guess with with the queen is obviously these, these themes of like motherhood and um yeah ripley becoming a mother of sorts and then in the first five minutes of the new film being like nope fuck you it's got nothing again. we're gonna take yeah. that away from you um and then in terms of where this story Deal goes yeah it's like she eventually sacrifices herself to i guess take out this thing probably once and for all until they come in with a really horrible sequel in the form of alien resurrection <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, always, I thought when watching Alien 3, the way I interpreted it was that throughout the film, they were basically getting rid of everything that could keep Ripley alive, mm-hmm. essentially, and not sort of give her a reason not to just end it with the Queen still inside her. They got rid of the daughter. They got rid of the contrived love interest pretty early in the film, I think, as well. They got rid of everything uh, Ripley could emotionally that, that emotionally bound Ripley to anything, to anyone, to any or anyone. Yeah. So that which made the choice for her to end it all very, very easy for her. I mean, I guess I don't see that so much as contrived. I mean, it was interesting watching this movie for this podcast. Like I, I, again, I actually decided to watch the theatrical cut for the first time, and Charles Dance's character Clemens, I think it is. He's kind of not. He doesn't really have like a strong introduction in the theatrical version of the movie compared to the assembly cut which i kind of noticed 
pretty quickly. But in terms of, I guess, that relationship, I mean, it is interesting because while in Aliens, Hicks and Ripley sort of have a bit of that tension, we don't actually see that ever progress into like a full romantic relationship just due to the situation that the characters are in. And so in this movie, we actually are exploring that a little more. We're kind of getting to see Ripley's sexuality for the first time on screen in a way that I felt was very interesting as a character study, because I do see this movie more as a drama than a straight up horror or a straight up action movie. So to see those character relationships, I thought was like important and interesting for this character. But I do agree with you that the film is kind of taking away these things that's why I don't really feel that it's contrived because it's working in service of what the film is really, I guess, like about, which I kind of maybe is seeing as something more about, I guess, Ripley's willingness to sacrifice herself by the end of that movie. Like in, in a way, I kind of almost see Ripley and the Xenomorph in a very Batman and Joker kind of relationship that these two forces are kind of, you know, destined to do battle with each other until they both are basically gone. That's kind of what I love about the movie in a way is that it's denying her the normal life, the domesticated life, because she's destined to essentially save humanity. It doesn't feel overly forced because we see in Aliens, once she's got the attachment to Newt, how quick she is to just go in after her knowing that the likelihood of either one of them surviving is probably pretty low but she's not prepared to live without having tried Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. she's got that element in her where she is willing to sacrifice herself so she's got that in her and now that yeah she's got nothing keeping her here really i don't know i just i feel like that whole relationship with clemens could have like it it could have been written better. I mean, the, the same whole movie you, ben, could have been written better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen the assembly cut. I think I've only oh, wow. seen. Oh wow! Okay. I think I've only seen the theatrical cut. Yeah, the ways that everything's just sort of dropped, you know, dropped in. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. And they don't. Oh, there's just not much sort of development. I think yeah between Clemens and yeah Ripley before before she starts really. Yeah. You know, expressing yourself like that. So it sort of leaves you feeling a bit uncomfortable because the whole movie is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. Like it's really moody. It's really dark. So you don't ever feel attached to any of the... I I don't anyway feel really attached to anyone in the movie. I actually really love the scene when Charles Dance's character Clemens gets killed off because especially in the, the assembly cut, they do... In actually give a proper introduction to the character um and then halfway through the movie just say fucking nope um and kill him off yeah, and it yeah. gives it this this real like yeah anything goes at this point which i know isn't that uncommon for this franchise but it did feel like oh fuck okay they they killed him off right then and there it's, it's like it's not sentimental at all towards like anything which gives it this no, very it's... dark nihilistic vibe but immediately it was like oh wow yeah as you guys were saying you don't really connect with many of the other characters in the movie the assembly cut does restore some of that though yeah it's it does create like you said a sense of nihilism like there's absolutely no sentimentality to to anything (laughs) so someone dies they even you know they kill newt who if anything that's who you should be most sentimental for Mm -hmm. and it's basically just dies off screen don't give a shit oh by the way Mm. she's dead yeah and by the way michael bain is dead (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's gone <laughs> and Bish- bishop's fan favorites in, like, they're just gone yeah bishop's in a junk pile 
<laughs> like she has to go and find him like you know you start the movie like what the hell is going on like it's so um, dark in that sense but like, you see there's no you fan see actors here. yeah no no you see actors like pete Postlethwaite, and you're just wondering like why is this guy in this movie yeah because the character does they sort of give off this impression that he's smart and cunning but then gets killed anyway yeah <laughs> so it's like such a great actor what's the kind point of, of all, in like a really yeah. small way i guess I yeah mean, it's like what is the point of all these these people in this movie and you can see that it was sacrifices being made in the script on the cutting room floor to push this movie along at a greater pace i mean and it, and it is so fascinating to watch this movie for fincher fans or people who just want to see where he kind of got his start from because where again, it all began yeah because yeah. then if you do go and watch seven it's like oh wow that's when you can really see him just like go for it um and that's yeah. just like an amazing masterpiece of, of a film in my opinion but you can see a lot of the fincherisms in there yeah already just in terms of how he where he places the camera um how he moves the camera like the really low angles like really low angles in, in this movie you, you you can see that that voice there despite everything and then it's just interesting watching the the making of documentaries for this movie alone like i would highly recommend anybody who like is into the alien franchise or into david fincher um to to watch that because it's this very candid making of where you know david fincher obviously don't involve himself in any of the interviews but people will start to talk about like working with him and what it was like some people thought he was kind of arrogant and unpleasant then you have charles dance saying like he's a genius and i would jump off a cliff with him if he told me to like like where he just seemed to able be able to really rally the creative troops behind him even at such a young age in the studio system and then i think as he described it in one like interview to get ritualistically sodomized for two years by the studio (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the way of putting it. It is one way to put it. <laughs> I'd say it's the way to put it. The setup is also quite different as well, because you know, because I, I think that that the setup is so important in a movie. It does really blast through. I think, as, as you said, Brent, it's really yeah, it really fast in the theatrical cut. Whereas I do think the assembly cut does take its time a little bit more, um, where it doesn't just feel like it's moving through these things at such a breakneck speed and I, I do think even something as small as having clemens be the one that finds her immediately makes mm. us connect more to clemens as a character whereas in the theatrical cut she's just found by like a group of the prisoners maybe it's just me but um even with all of that i still it's i feel like it still wasn't enough oh for sure i mean it's, it's not a great script <laughs> i think fincher would agree in that sense but we're looking at the two versions of the film that we have and I think as far as that setup, I think it does a better job. It's not an amazing job, but I do think that it is a better version of the movie, even if you do have a slightly slower film overall. Roger Ebert has, well, he retroactively called it one of the best looking bad movies he'd ever seen <laughs> when he uh, reviewed Fight Club. That's probably where most of its critical acclaim comes from. Mm. It's sort of moving through to someone like David Fincher, who now now we look at his filmography and it's quite diverse in terms of subject matter. But it's his, you know, he's got a really strong commitment to his visual style, and it's unmistakable when you see it. Totally, you can you can see that straight away, like you said, Corey. Like the Fincherisms are there, mm-hmm. and um, he excels really well when there's a feeling of claustrophobia, mm-hmm. and not so much like I don't mean 
exclusively panic room style claustrophobia <laughs> but you're feeling claustrophobic with the characters that you've got so even in something like the social network you know you're looking at this which is now like a billion dollar enterprise you're still feeling like really tied down with these characters who are here and especially with mm-hmm. mark zuckerberg they paint as like a really not a great guy <laughs> but you're sort of you're stuck with this guy the whole way through and you never feel like you're going to get sort of away from this this dude yeah he and in he really focuses your attention where you know he wants it to be <laughs> um yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah there's nothing that you're looking at that he doesn't want you to be looking exactly. at exactly yeah and you're you're stuck here in this prison with with ripley and you're stuck with these people in here and i think that helps create that environment of like nihilism Mm. really and the lack of sentimentality because you're stuck here with the these are violent criminals they're here because they are so violent so they have yeah. you know they have a world view of not really giving a shit and you know people don't really care about them they don't care if these people die mm-hmm. here like it's stated in the movie they don't have weapons or or anything so they're basically yeah. fucked if this alien yeah. is on board i mean everything from like the setting and the characters is, is informing the, the tone of the movie <laughs> yeah know? yeah exactly and that's why it's such a far cry from aliens which in itself is a horror movie but it's you know that the lighter Mm. sort of horror movie it's like even the jump from terminator to terminator 2 is so drastic it is yeah alien is it's dark in tone because it has to be because it's a horror movie but it never feels as dark as as alien 3 does which is i probably a turn off for a lot of people yeah and like you know the theatrical they race through a lot of stuff to get to get to the end so they don't spend a lot of time ever really warming you up yeah. to anything especially before they just kill them all right, <laughs> right yeah in front i of mean you. you're not kind of gradually reintroduced to these characters like there's no yeah sequence where there's you know hicks and newt and ripley on the spaceship uh you know doing their thing being a happy family and then it's yeah. taken away it's like oh they're you they're just kind of almost killed off screen in a way kind of on screen but you know you don't really yeah. see them ever like like there um as their characters they're just killed off straight away and so if we're to look at and trying to answer the question of why wasn't this movie successful i mean because it was successful somewhat financially even if it was the least out of the three up until that point (laughs) and like why people might not like this movie i think it it could be as you were saying brad just because it is just it's almost at times unrelentingly bleak <laughs> for yeah, yeah. the established tone of this franchise, even though Alien and Aliens are two very different tones. Um, this, I think, just really pushes it towards this um, This very, yeah, it's incredibly gothic. It's very dark and moody. It's a lot more claustrophobic in that sense, maybe, even though Alien is very claustrophobic. That's part of it. Yeah, this, yeah, what makes it has so to be, amazing. yeah. Um, yeah. But it does, as you, in terms of that, that Fincher claustrophobia, as you're talking about, which for some people might feel more of a endurance ride than a thrill ride. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the best way of putting it. And even though Alien and Aliens are very tonally different, you look at how well they've been received over time and the legacy they've had behind. They are pretty much nail what they set out to from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, James Cameron's gone into Aliens, obviously with the intention of, I'm going to move away from the, you know, the horror side of things and let's ramp everything up, you know, let's go, let's turn this dial up to 10. Mm-hmm. And there's more Aliens, is going to be gunfights and it nails it the whole way through. Yeah, because it's not just escalation for just excess, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's said like, okay, let's like ramp it up, but then let's kind of, 
you know in terms of what aliens maybe does that alien doesn't do is really make it like thematically driven in that sense of like okay this action's all happening but it's also really exploring ripley as this um that's why for me it comes back to sacrifice you know as really being the central i guess like idea driving thing like not just in terms of ripley's sacrifice but also how she kind of convinces the prisoners to to sacrifice themselves for something greater as as i said before in this podcast like endings are really like where the theme kind of solidifies i think if you're going to end the movie like that it it it, it does kind of build its way to it but maybe because yeah these scripting issues it might not kind of feel as focused in that particular you know as focused as say aliens which probably had like a pretty tight script by that point that they went into production um yeah but whereas with with alien 3 it would have been such a you know tumultuous experience making that movie that i'm sure that that the the potency of those those messages and those themes and stuff would have been diluted i think alien 3 had four different writers and then fincher was you know writing over the top of it as well so there was no clear voice Definitely the, from a script. story perspective, yeah, in the scripting. Yeah. <laughs> like, and again, they kind of go through this in the making of like docos and stuff, um, which is why it's so interesting because you can see as they're they're talking through the timeline of production, you're like, oh, this was like doomed from the start to not be as good as those first two movies. Because those, like, and, and again, like, I, I like Alien 3. I think that it's a, a solid movie overall. But the first two are iconic. And so when you're making a third entry into a franchise that has become iconic and that thing is definitely not iconic, it's always going to (laughs) feel like it's, you know, probably in some ways worse than what it actually is, perhaps. Yeah, it's like Um, the ugly stepsister. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did anyone find it interesting that Ripley would do anything and everything to try and save her daughter whilst... Uh, juxtaposed with uh, doing everything and everything to destroy the baby queen that's in, in actually inside it. That's that's a really good point, and we do see that in Ripley a lot. Going tying into the theme core of sacrifice, as you were saying, that's to me why it's not hard to see why she would sacrifice herself, even if she did have these things in her way, even if she could follow through with the romance. Even if Newt was alive, it's still believable that Ripley would still, in the end, throw herself into the furnace. Totally, yeah. Because yeah. because she knows she's witnessed firsthand. She's the only one. Well, again, it's for, from it's for a great yeah, movie. from like just uh, if looking at it, it just, just the scale of just that particular narrative. Um, it might not seem like a big deal but in terms of i think yeah. like like what the film does like set up which is like this is a queen that's inside of her and that if yeah. this particular queen is allowed to live it would kill many many Just many, doing many everything other people, all over again um it would basically yeah. start up again and so the implication is almost that once she takes out this last alien that's that's already like causing like havoc for the the population of this prison planet but the implication is almost that once they take that out and then they take out the one inside of her as well that this is kind of the end of the xenomorph species for me that's why i think it does work from like just a character arc point of view and i think to finch's credit 
um, despite the fact that he was working with like an unfinished script and with sets that, you know, they had started building for a previous version of the script, which wasn't just a prison planet, but initially was a wooden planet um, that these monks yeah. had made. Um, yeah. Really kind of wacky ideas and stuff in there, but also pretty cool as well. But in this particular like version of the script, like I think it he understands ripley as a character this is ripley she's this kind of like hard ass swearing like tough woman character where she's actually almost like a little bit aloof very very strong but i think it could be easy to misdirect a character like ripley and to make her something that she's not but i think this movie does successfully say no this is ripley this is still the same character that we've seen from the first two and these are the choices that she would make and everything as you guys have said it feels like this is this is it's just what she would do. On. Yeah. 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 And she becomes a mother to the human race. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh, we just lost five subscribers um, because of that. Yeah, uh, so personally what works for me is is what we've said, so without reiterating too much, is Finch's vision shining through despite every obstacle possibly that could hit a production and his understanding of Ripley as a character to be able to take her through what would be natural decisions that she would make as well as I guess I guess you could say experimenting but not really like risk taking with sides of Ripley we haven't seen so like we said her sexuality which we as a group are conflicted on (laughs) (laughs) between ourselves whether that works or you know how well the movie sort of puts all that together but that's probably more a scripting thing than i think i think that should have been done but you know obviously could have been done better like a lot of this movie and that theme of sacrifice and ripley becoming a mother to the human race (laughs) um but yeah Uh, for me it's just the it's so bleak i'm not crying out for sentimentality in films like at all mm. but feel that's what can you know make or break a film financially as well as how how well invested we are in the people that we're seeing on screen and when they get taken away the only person you really where well i'm sort of really behind in the whole movie is ripley because i've spent time with her before mm-hmm. yeah whereas all these characters that are introduced especially in the theatrical cut oh these guys are pieces of shit and then they die <laughs> like okay cool i'm glad that guy died <laughs> he was a like these six people like tried to gang rape yeah. her i'm glad they all died yeah yeah for sure the stakes never feel really great until we find out like what's going on with ripley that she's the one that's been impregnated and then and then it's like mm. oh shit now i care because it's it does take a I've bit of time two and a half movies to get there <laughs> yeah you spend probably the first hour wondering what and why i guess mm-hmm so like, what, why a third movie? What's the point of all this? And yeah, why why is all of this happening right now? It wasn't best film for me. I don't particularly care for Alien Three. For me, it just seemed like, and obviously was hastily cobbled together story for the purposes of cashing in on a franchise. And as much as Fincher is Fincher, and so he will do the best work he can with what he's got, uh, especially with the character of Ripley. Um, which he's able to still hold true to and, and like you said, still add on some certain nuances to that character already. But everything else to me was just was just poor. 
there's no other real way to, to, to say it is that it, it seemed rushed, not fully thought out and just done for the purposes of making some money. It's not a film that should have ever been a, a film. David Finch's great, Sigourney Reaver's great, but apart from that, it's not a film that needed to have been made. I can totally see where you're coming from, Ben, but I almost placed that that whole thing of this thing feeling like a cash grab solely on the shoulders of the producers of the movie um, or the executive producers or the studio heads because it almost does feel like it's a clashing of of the creatives and the executives where you can almost feel that in the movie where you have someone like David Fincher who you know is a visionary director and is responsible i think for a lot of like modern masterpieces so it's interesting then to watch alien 3 and to see what is very clearly kind of like a unique strong visionary working up against what is probably from the studio in attempts to cash in on what has been a very successful franchise but almost in there you know it's it's the diamond in the rough stuff that it's completely imperfect it's the the ugly sibling as brent said but once you kind of like brush away that stuff I, I think that there is some interesting stuff in there that's kind of worth mining you know that that when you can get past some of that for me anyway that it's 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 worth the ride for me even if it's not iconic again like this would not be in my favorite films like in, the, in those top films of all time where Alien's the first thing I think of when people ask me what are my favorite films. Alien Three is definitely not up there. Um, but <laughs> yeah. as far as I guess looking <laughs> at it, like I think that this movie is much better than the film that follows it. I think yeah. that Alien Resurrection. That's a movie that didn't need to be made. That for me is a movie that did <laughs> oh, not yeah. need to be made. Whereas I think Alien Three, I could see. Yeah, after Aliens, a sequel could have existed. Totally. Um, did yeah. we get the sequel that is the best version of itself that it could be? No. But at least it did have like an ending to... Like it had a pretty fucking firm ending to Ripley as a character before yeah. they came along and found a fairly contrived way to bring back Ripley as a character um, and the, the xenomorph as, um, as a villain and, and, and as a monster. Like that for me, if, if you watch resurrection that feels like a really kind of egregious cash grab on the, the grab, part of yeah. the of the, of the company itself whereas alien 3 is sure it, it, i can understand that those feelings of it does feel like a bit of a cash grab in the sense that they obviously didn't do they didn't take enough time and give it enough care to make it the best version of itself that it could be but i i think that there's some things in there that are still worthwhile for people who are you know fans of the franchise it's a really good example for me of a strong visionary director going against i guess filmmaking by committee mm -hmm. so the producers of these films they produced all of them and they have their own strong vision for what they want these movies to be and it makes me think of something like the james bond franchise or like the marvel franchise where the broccolis have a strong vision of how they want the james bond universe how they want the character to look and although they did bring in serious prestige in like sam mendes to make skyfall Mm -hmm. You would look at someone like a lot of people want Christopher Nolan to direct a James Bond movie, but you can tell it just wouldn't work because of how strong his no. vision is. It's like an equally strong vision from the producers who ultimately it's it's their it's their property, it's their movie, so it's gonna be their movie at the end of the day. 
Mm-hmm. And I, for for Alien Three, I think it's a perfect example of of that. So a visionary director coming up against opposition yep. to what he's doing, and it's just like Fincher has said, shown absolutely no faith in his ability to tell the best possible story with what they had. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, guys, we're probably going to be maybe a bit torn on on this one. But <laughs> is this movie unwatchable, Ben? look it will take it takes a lot to to say that a film is unwatchable we've answered the question of the podcast then just cancel it cancel the podcast now (laughs) is it is it is it unwatchable to the general masses i would i would i would say no is it unwatchable for me god yes god yes he says <laughs> oh, no, I'm, number two. I'm, I'm, playing, I'm playing it. I'm playing it up. I'm playing it up. <laughs> just, just to rally oh, you up. Um, no, but like, for for me, I would no. Honestly, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it mm-hmm. because it's not it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's from a horror franchise for one, which we've already established. I don't. Very do. true. It's a film that doesn't seem to know where it wants to exactly go and when it does it kind of bumbles its way there so just on that alone it's like yeah i'm not really wanting to watch this but Mm -hmm. for other people i'm sure it's you know it's it's a it's a right hoot but (laughs) (laughs) but it's but it's a ride of a time I mean, you wouldn't recommend it to anyone that hadn't seen Alien movies because it just no. doesn't make sense. It's like you saying, start oh, not with just Alien 3. go watch Return of the go watch Return of the Jedi. You haven't seen. I would any say of not not just watch them, but <laughs> watch them and enjoyed them. Yeah, for me, I'm probably in agreement. Probably torn between both of you. Like, it's not a great movie. It's a mess, but there's plenty there for like a Fincher completionist mm. or an Alien franchise completionist. Like, there's definitely things there that keep the mythology interesting but yeah on its own it's it's not a great movie and especially coming from alien one of the greatest movies ever and aliens which is considered probably the best sequel ever so like Corey said iconic and super influential to alien 3 which is it's a hot mess in certain parts and is really strong in others so it's a, it's a strange movie um so tell, look, tell me why i'm wrong <laughs> Just listen to the previous hour of this podcast. Um, just, I, I refer to that, good sir. Um, okay. Yeah, look, I I echo um, a bit of what kind of Brent said as far as, like, I think for alien completionists, like, I, I, I think that you, you could watch this as, as a trilogy of two iconic films and then a bit of a limp finish at the end. But at least it kind yeah. of has, like, some form of, I think, a satisfying ending kind of um yeah because ripley's story doesn't end in the first two until no and i mean and the only endings that we really have in life is when we die and so to, yeah. to give ripley like as a character like a send-off um in a way it's unrealistic feels... i agree unrealistic for a fucking science fiction franchise ben come on mate just just give me just give me something um it's like those people that argue about (laughs) you know those people um you know the gravity well in uh last jedi when they drop the bombs out oh god they're gonna start everyone tries to question how the gravity works and it's like it's, like, it's fucking you, star you know what movie bro. you're watching do you know <laughs> but they cut people's arms off with 
swords made out of light. That's that's <laughs> not the thing you should be complaining about. That's not what you should be complaining about in this movie. Oh, uh, there's yeah, there's plenty but, not real about yeah, these. Yeah. But I guess to, in terms of to finish my point, Ben. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. To, <laughs> to give her an ending that at least felt like it had some kind of like narrative meaning or narrative weight, I think is like interesting alone. And I think, yeah, it's just as far as Fincher completionists, I, I do think it's really interesting to watch this film for those people who that, that are interested in his his career and just his process and how he's... I guess created this filmography for himself because I'm sure it's come out of the fires of of the production of this movie. So keeping with our theme that we sort of brought in, I think it was the dread episode. I believe it was. To keep things positive and so we can talk about things that people maybe haven't heard about but we're we're digging at the time or we're maybe watching. Um, have you guys been watching anything or have you seen anything recently that you think people should, should get amongst? Well, given the current situation, yeah, I have had oodles of time. I think everyone watched uh, the Last Dance documentary, so I won't I won't I comment on yet. that. Oh, well, you should. Um, he's not a sports he's not a sports fan, man. Sports uh, well, ball. Well, just as just as a just as a lover of documentaries, you should still watch it anyway. I've heard it's great. Yeah, it is. It's actually really it is actually really well done. I have been watching an anime called Doro Head Doro, which is um, in kind of in line with Alien Three. It's very dark, very gritty. It's to do with sorcery, like sorcery, and um, them experimenting on uh, like their their skills on humans and all that sort of stuff. It's really really interesting. Yeah, cool. Uh, I have finally watched Knives Out as well. Fantastic. Um, yep. Great. E- excellent film. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, very good. I think I watched it for the third time not long ago. Oh, well, I need to revisit. Go. I need to revisit that. Ryan Johnson, you beautiful son of a bitch. Oh, I need more Benoit Blanc in my life. <laughs> oh yeah. I just need more. I just need more Southern accent. Daniel Craig. Oh in my yeah. Life. I can get around that <laughs> for sure. It was robbed of best screenplay. I don't even know what won best screenplay. Um, I believe best original screenplay went to Parasite, didn't it? Maybe it wasn't robbed. Yeah, <laughs> it was not a decent highway year. robbery. It was anyway. a decent year. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a strong year. Yeah, as far as what I'm watching, or I guess what I wanted to recommend, um, I actually watched this a while ago now, but I feel like it it connected enough with me that I'm willing to kind of mention it here. And I'm sure a lot of people by this point probably have watched it just because we're all in quarantine. When really, um, this this dropped on Netflix, but um, unorthodox. Um, which is a f- yeah. four-episode limited series um, about a young woman who basically leaves the very, I guess, strict Hasidic Jewish community that she um, comes from to try and make a new life for herself in Berlin um, and is pursued by um, her husband um, and another member from the community in an attempt to find her and bring her back. And it's a series which... Um, as far as things like direction and cinematography is not flashy but services the story completely and it draws you in so much and the performances all around are incredible um it's just incredibly moving i watched the the first three episodes um in the one um evening i would have watched the fourth if it wasn't already like midnight by that point um but by by the end i was left definitely feeling moved um and just really taken with the performances um in the show so if you have yet to get onto it um it's all on netflix and i would definitely recommend that 
it has been on my recommendations list so i'll have to give that a crack yeah and it's only four episodes so it's, it's really yeah. not like a huge investment like i i personally feel that like sometimes netflix shows seem to kind of overstay their welcome and maybe should mm. not be as long as they are i'm looking at you altered carbon well i've uh, i've been moving house slash been homeless for a while so i haven't i haven't watched a whole lot of anything you've been watching the streets I've been, I've been watching the streets well, that was a uh, that was a fun dive into Alien Three, which I guess sort of you look at the broad picture of that original. I guess it's hard to say it's a trilogy because there's so many of them now. But it's the ugly, the ugly sibling, like we've said, it's like Godfather Part Three is the ugly sibling. It's not necessarily <laughs> awful though. Yeah, it's just when you directly compare it to its two predecessors, it's not very good. There's something wrong. Um, with it. Yeah, and we are mixed, just like the the greater community was that movie as well but it's there's plenty there to enjoy when you watch it a movie that we're probably more unanimous on we're coming is coming up very shortly the wachowski they're visionaries as well um not always in a a good way not always in a good way (laughs) their their latest their latest joint jupiter ascending and we're gonna have our our first special guest on to chat about that one Um, he's all he's almost a doctor Tim Smith, philosophizer and great thinker. And we're going to shout abuse at him for <laughs> probably two hours while he defends yep. he defends Jupiter Ascending and why it's apparently worth watching. <laughs> it, 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 will not, it, won't, it won't be so much a podcast as it will be a trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you mm. thinking, basically, yeah. for two hours? We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you didn't stop listening five minutes in when you found out that Ben's <laughs> only I did. <laughs> I stopped um, listening, so he didn't know what studio know. made it. <laughs> I don't. I didn't know who wrote Alien. Uh, well, there's there's plenty more reasons to not listen, but ignore those. David Finch is the one. Who, the... David Finch is the one who did West Wing, right? Oh my god! And <laughs> yes. uh, this now. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, guys. Catch us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we've got the group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash unwatchablepod. You can at us on Twitter, your rage, whether you like this movie or hate it or like any other movie. We copped it for apparently suggesting Dread was a bad movie, but you can tell those people didn't listen to the actual episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can join in join in the fun on social and you can recommend any movies you want us to chat about. Even let us know your comments on these divisive movies that we've been chatting about. But stay safe. We can almost go outside in Australia. You can have friends now. Mm. So we can all be friends again. I miss them. But we still must always wash your hands. Wash, wash your hands. hands.